Welcome to Hoosier Ag This Week, a recap of the week's news in Indiana agriculture and a look ahead with the Indiana Farm Forecast. I'm Andy Eubank, and joining me today are Eric Pfeiffer and C.J. Miller, plus our chief meteorologist Ryan Martin has that forecast update. It was Fort Wayne Farm Show Week, and both Eric and C.J. attended and have several reports. We'll also cover Indiana Farm Bureau priorities this year, tax scams farmers should know about, insights on farm financing, Elise Koning's preview of the new Soil Health podcast, and a farm market recap later this segment. First up, let's talk inputs. The value of fungicides has been seen in recent years in a way that may now affect the actual supply availability. Fighting disease and added plant health benefits have led to positive return on investment. Agronomist Jim Hedrick explains that fungicide ROI. We've got increased disease pressure combined with high-priced grain at this point in time, so return on investment to a fungicide treatment is significantly better than it's ever been in history. Uh, add to that the fact we have increased disease pressure like tar spot that wasn't even around 12, 13 years ago here today can take 60 to 100 bushels out of a corn yield. We've got southern rust in the southern parts of Indiana and Illinois that can take similar type bites out of yield. So again, you start looking at return on investment, uh, it makes and justifies that. But Hedrick says the problem that could materialize as soon as this year is that the fungicide production industry is not sufficiently ramped up. There will be a supply issue if demand increases, and he says it could increase two to two and a half fold. Yes, it's going to be a challenge, and I've been encouraging farmers at this point in time to be securing their supply here in the winter months. Uh, my concern is if they don't do that, we get out into July, we have a good growing season because good growing seasons coincide with high disease pressure. We need humidities for disease. So when you've got that good crop developing, that's when if you haven't been proactive, you may be all of a sudden in July saying, oh, I need fungicide. Oh, wait a minute, I can't. My retailer can't get it. My wholesaler can't get it. Uh, supply is gone at that point in time. Additionally, any old fungicide formulation may not do the trick. We do have several generic alternatives, but most of those contain old modes of action, and one particularly class 11 is not effective anymore on a lot of the foliar diseases in beans, and on corn we're seeing similar resistance developing. Uh, so it's really important to use some of the premium products, but in a, a, a desire, dire situation or an emergency situation, we still can fall back on some of those, but supply on those are limited as well. If you've been waiting for some good news on fertilizer prices, Hedrick does see some opportunities this spring. What we've seen over the last six months is P&K prices have been declining. Nitrogen prices over the last 90 days have been declining. So as we get into the spring pricing time frame, those that haven't bought their needs or have been deferring those needs to this point in time, I think have got opportunities over the next next 90 days to buy at a lower cost than what we've seen in the last 90 days and particularly lower than what we saw in the peak in the late summer of 22. Is it wise to shop around because of price variability? Absolutely. Uh, what, what we see is some retailers are carrying in some inventory that they bought maybe in the summer of 22 at a very high price. They may have even bought some early in the fall of 22 at an elevated price. May have bought and probably did buy third to maybe half of their nitrogen needs for 23 in the late summer of 22. So again, all dealing with high-priced inventory that they have to rationalize that out here in the spring against lower cost, in some cases significantly lower cost replacement product. So yes, shopping around will be a key. Jim Hedrick is with Sagamore Ag Source and Horizon Ag Consulting. 
Now to the happenings at this week's Fort Wayne Farm Show. Eric Pfeiffer and C.J. Miller were there. We have several stories for you from the Fort Wayne Farm Show. First up, Eric Pfeiffer. Thank you, Andy. The Fort Wayne Farm Show ran Tuesday through Thursday at the Allen County War Memorial Coliseum. It was a great opportunity to catch up with some old friends, meet some new ones while I was up there on Wednesday. I had the chance to catch up with Jim Mintert, director of the Purdue Center for Commercial Agriculture. He presented a seminar Wednesday morning about some easy-to-use tools for farmers offered via their website at the Purdue Center for Commercial Agriculture. Yeah, so we have a number of tools that you can access on the Center for Commercial Agriculture's website, which is just purdue.edu slash commercial ag. And, uh, you know, the ones we were talking about this morning were uh, obviously the crop basis tool, which was developed by uh, primarily by my colleague, Dr. Nathan Thompson, which uh, allows you to look at what basis is doing currently in your part of the state relative to an average and uh, it defaults to doing a three-year average but you can look at data going all the way back to 2005 on the website so it allows you to get an idea as to how good the basis bids are locally what the seasonal pattern is uh, maybe helps you identify some time frames when you want to actually lock in the basis and uh, you know look at that seasonal variation over time and so um, we, we developed the tool because we knew a lot of people didn't maintain basis data banks, and so it's just an easy way. So um, we update with updated information uh, once a week, and it's updated every Friday morning. So you can, you know, at the end of the week, maybe take a look and see what basis has done uh, that week, look at what the history has been, and look what the seasonal pattern is. And then the other two we looked at were... Um, uh, the price distribution tool, which is actually a University of Illinois FarmDoc tool, but it's available from our website, so you can find it from the same location. And it allows you to look at current futures prices for corn and soybeans and what the level of risk that exists in that, in that marketplace. And it's all based on option premiums. Um, the scientists at the University of Illinois have developed a tool in the background that looks at option premiums and uses that to estimate how prices might uh, actually go off the board at. And then the third tool we looked at is, um, I think a lot of your listeners probably know my colleague, Dr. Michael Langemeyer, develops uh, the crop basis or crop budget uh, estimates for us at Purdue. And the spreadsheet that he uses to do that has been made user-friendly. And you can download that spreadsheet and use that to plug your own numbers in, calculate your own break-evens, as opposed to just using the Purdue stylized numbers. So very handy tool in terms of thinking about your marketing program and, and how that might uh, compared to what your costs are. Again, that's Jim Minter, director of the Purdue Center for Commercial Agriculture. That website is purdue.edu slash commercial ag. If you find this story at whosyouragtoday.com, all of those tools that Minter mentioned are linked inside that story. Be sure to check it out. I'm Eric Pfeiffer. All right, Eric, thank you. Let's shift over to the markets now. Mixed on Friday, mixed throughout the course of the week as well. We'll have the Friday settlements coming up here shortly for you. First, market analysis. And I got that late in trade on Friday from Brian Basting, economist at Advanced Trading. Brian, pretty quiet when you look at corn and soybeans and a bump in the Chicago wheat futures market. Let's first take a look back at the Martin Luther King Jr. holiday shortened week, four full days of trade when it's all over, and some bounces here and there, some losses here and there. What do you make of the week overall? As you said, it was a bouncy week, for lack of a better phrase, Andy, but but generally to the downside, we had a change in the, the weather trends in Argentina. 
primarily affecting the corn and the bean market. A wetter pattern emerged late week. Quite a bit of rain emerged overnight in the southern part of the growing region, Thursday night into Friday. And more rain is forecast next week, Andy. So that took an edge off the soybean market and the corn market this week. Um, we did see some encouraging export sales report news on Friday. That was delayed today, of course, due to the holiday. But uh, going into the major USDA report there on uh, January 12th, there was quite a bit of end-user coverage. So we saw some good export sales of wheat, uh, good export sales, really good export sales of corn, and some some decent export sales of beans and, and uh, meal. So it looks like some of those end-users took advantage of the opportunity or at least maybe got positioned ahead of those reports on January 12th. But overall, I'd say it was a choppy week, but with a downward bias because of the change in the weather trends in Argentina. Economist Brian Basting at Advanced Trading. Brian's number 309 664 14. More numbers now. The Friday settlements. A penny lower. March corn, 676 and a quarter Friday. May settled down a quarter cent at 674 and a half. July 663 and a half, up a quarter cent. Eight and a quarter lower. March soybeans, 1506 and a half. May contract, 1501 and three quarters. Nine and three quarters down. And July a dime and three quarters off, going to 1493. March wheat in Chicago, seven cents up, 741 and a half. The meats were higher all day long. April live cattle settling at 159.92, up 80. And April lean hogs, 85. 572 gaining a dollar 32 still to come on the weekend show more reporting from eric pfeiffer we'll also bring in cj miller and coming up shortly ryan martin's indiana farm forecast i'm andy eubank this is hoosier ag this week in 2022 audience research showed that hoosier ag today was the most listened to farm radio source in indiana Why? Because we bring you timely, relevant, and credible information every day on this station, delivered by professional farm broadcasters who live in this state and who really care about your farming operation. With you in 2023, Hoosier Ag Today, heard daily on this station and online, HoosierAgToday.com. Chilly this weekend after a fairly mild start to 2023, honestly. I'm Chief Meteorologist Ryan Martin with Hoosier Ag Today's Indiana Farm Forecast Weekend Edition. Over your weekend here, we're getting some sunshine back. That's been a limited commodity for this past week, to be sure. We're in a cold air mass, but seeing some sunshine for Saturday. Get a little bit of winter weather back into the region as we move through tomorrow, Sunday. We've got a minor disturbance that comes out of the central plains and goes into the eastern Corn Belt. The biggest precipitation stays a little bit farther south and east, but in Indiana, I think we have to leave the door open for Sunday to a coating to an inch or two of snow. Best snow potential, I believe, is going to be in central and southern Indiana. I won't rule out some better snows in northeast as well, but the moisture availability is just not here. I'm going to call this a nuisance event more than anything else, but it is winter weather, and honestly, we haven't seen a lot of that this year. Uh, This is just step one, I think, in the process of getting back closer to normal in our winter. We do see sunshine coming back out for your Monday. It's cold, but we see partly sunny skies at least. Tuesday starts with sun. Clouds increase late. 
significant storm complex coming out of the southern plains on Tuesday afternoon. Massive rain and thunderstorm action in Texas starts to move northeast across Arkansas, and low pressure actually tracks from central Louisiana across northern Mississippi into western and central parts of Kentucky and Tennessee, eventually working its way through Ohio from roughly Cincinnati to Cleveland. If the low maintains that track, we are constantly in the cold air section of this around the top and back side, and that's where one would expect the heaviest snows to come together. I'm not projecting heavy, heavy snows just yet. I'm saying the potential is here, if the track remains the same, to see a significant weather system, a winter weather system for next Wednesday. We are going to be cold and in a snow sector, but it comes down to the track of the low, so we're watching that quite closely. Let's just say midweek could be a mess. Behind it, a reinforcing shot of cold air coming down for Thursday and Friday, triggering a lot of clouds and maybe a little bit of lake effect here and there. Into the following weekend, the 28th and 29th, light snow and flurries still trying to rotate through. And we're also going to be seeing temperatures try and moderate maybe for a bit later in the weekend and fail. A reinforcing shot of cold air. Canadian high pressure looks to settle into the northern plains and upper Midwest around the 29th. And then it comes right straight into here for the 30th. And I believe in that cold air surge, there's going to be another clipper-like system that comes through. Gives us a chance of snow as we get ready to flip the calendar from January into February. The warm air battle is going to be the main driver of everything here over the next 10 days. I'm Ryan Martin. Is your family farm ready for transition to the next generation? The Purdue Extension Succession Planning Team is hosting workshops to help farms strategically structure a farm succession plan. Workshops are being held in your area this week on January 25th in Kokomo and on January 26th in Richmond, Reynolds, and Corydon. For specific location information and to register for a workshop, visit online at bit.ly slash Succession. That's bit.ly slash Succession. Thank you for joining us on Hoosier Ag This Week. I'm Eric Pfeiffer from Hoosier Ag Today with the top news in Indiana and U.S. agriculture. When it comes to understanding tax law and rules... Very complex. can be very difficult to understand. can be easy to create confusion. That's Roger McCowan, an ag law professor from Washburn University in Kansas. As a result, consumers, farmers, anyone can fall victim to various traps and scams regarding taxes. Schemes that could lead to loss of money and various legal issues. One scam that McCowan says is currently targeting farmers focuses on new COVID legislation known as the Employee Retention Tax Credit. IRS is all over it. IRS keeps putting out warnings of these groups doing this. They'll take some of the money to promise you you're going to get a certain amount of the credit. We'll take a percentage of that and then they're gone. You can never find them after that. And there have been over a thousand of these scammers that are out there. They're catching all types of people, but particularly they seem to be focusing on agriculture. McCowan provides another example of a tax scam that hits pretty close to home. The court is telling the story of an Indiana farm couple that read an ad in a farm magazine. They decided it would be a great idea to do what the ad said, and that is create a charitable remainder annuity trust. Now, McCowan acknowledges that a charitable remainder annuity trust is a great tax planning technique. In the right situation, 
and if it's done correctly. What happened was they created a trust in one year, created another trust in a second year, put their corn crop in one trust, put their soybean crop in another trust, which that's mistake number one. You do not put a harvested crop in a charitable remainder trust because that's all ordinary income and you can't get a charitable deduction for it because you don't have any income tax basis in that crop. Turns out the situation was even more complex than that. They named their son as the trustee, which is another potential problem. Then they didn't report. They claimed that the distributions from the trust were not taxable to them. Another mistake. They claimed that they had sold the crop to the trust and therefore that established the purchase price basis in the trust. That's a mistake. You transferred the crop to the trust. The trust then sold the grain tax-free because it's a charity. McCowan says the lesson learned here is to use a professional tax consultant who specializes in agricultural tax law to help avoid potential costly traps. Thinking outside the box can lead to economic opportunities. That's the focus of the latest Hat Soil Health podcast that you can find now at HoosierAgToday.com. Elise Koning is here now with a preview. Hans Schmitz is conservation agronomist for the Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative, and Michael Morrow is a farmer and the executive director of the Indiana Farmers Union. They dive into adopting climate-smart strategies on the farm, from carbon markets to cover crops. Schmitz explains. There are multiple different things that are considered climate smart, and they all go back to the four soil health principles. Minimize disturbance, maximize living roots, maximize soil armor, and then maximize diversity. He says that these strategies can reduce volatility and risk, pointing to last year's growing season. Early planting, being able to get canopy closure before we turn dry in June made a huge difference. Now, if we didn't plant early, but we had cover crop, maybe the ability to plant green, something like that, you achieved the same effect of reducing direct sunlight hitting the soil surface and reducing how quickly that soil dried out. Morrow says keeping farm income in the area is key. When we're looking at different commodity prices right now, whether it's coin or bean, you see a lot of volatility in that marketplace. And when we look at anything to bring income into the farm, whether it's solar fields or hemp or anything, you want to make sure that that money in that production is staying in and around the area. When it comes to economics and soil health, Morrow encourages farmers to think outside the box. You got to look at what the industry is doing to your bottom line and saying, how can I do something different on my farm to make sure that the industry is not impacting my bottom line as much as they can? And, you know, when we talk about cover, we talk about different things, but really what we're doing is we're improving the soil health so you don't have to do as much of spraying, as much of the different things. You can hear the Hat Soil Health podcast at HoosierAgToday.com. I am Elise Koning. All right, Elise, thanks. Farming in a war. That's something we could only imagine here, but it's a reality in Ukraine as the war there persists. Their farms have been bombed, dairy farms have been bombed, dead cows, dead pigs lying all over the place. And that first-hand account of what was seen in 2022 comes from Ukrainian farmer and member of the Global Farmer Network, Cornelis Kez Hoizinga. That's just terrible to see. And those guys are not farming anymore, of course. It's too dangerous there. Or their fields are still mined. Ukraine lost like 20-25% of its arable surface to the war. Hoizinga has been farming for 20 years in central Ukraine, where he grows carrots, wheat, barley, canola, sugar beets, corn, sunflowers, navy beans, and raises dairy. He says so far... 
He's been rather fortunate compared to other farmers in the war-torn country. We only had one rocket in our village. That's nothing compared to bigger cities or to farmers in the south, east or the north of the country intentionally bombing civilian infrastructure. They are destroying the electricity infrastructure. And we have a few very big nitrogen fertilizer plants in Ukraine, and they can't work now because they don't have the electricity, and gas obviously also comes from Russia. The war put a pause on a decade-long dairy operation expansion Hoisinga was undertaking. After several months, he decided to resume those expansion plans, partly out of necessity. We can't sell the heifers. There's no market for it. We can't export them. We can't sell our slaughter cows really for a good price. So our existing barns are overcrowded. And partly out of optimism. Sooner or later, this war will be over. From actual attacks on farmers and ranchers to a political one. That's what the National Cattlemen's Beef Association is calling the new Waters of the U.S. rule that was published in the Federal Register last week by the Environmental Protection Agency. The lack of certainty in this final rule that subjecting a lot of features to case-by-case determinations really means that, that we're not any better off than we started. And that's NCBA Chief Legal Counsel Mary Thomas Hart who adds that the rule lacks common sense. NCBA has joined Farm Bureau, the National Corn Growers Association, and other farm and builders groups in filing a lawsuit in federal court against the EPA. Hart says the Biden rule does exempt some farm features like drainage ditches, stock ponds, and prior converted farmland, but not those like streams that only flow when it rains. But why a lawsuit now, when the Supreme Court may narrow the definition of WOTUS when it rules in Sackett versus EPA here in a few months? One of the biggest reasons we filed the lawsuit is to hold off implementation of the rule until we hear back from the Supreme Court. You know, halt the rule until we're able to argue the merits of the case. And then obviously we'll fight to get the rule vacated permanently. Over 1,700 cattle producers last year sent messages to the EPA opposing the agency's sweeping definition of WOTUS, but Hart says they obviously didn't listen. Producers across the country are going to be required to spend a lot of money to figure out if they need additional permits, if they're going to be subject to enforcement, that is is not at all what, what farmers and ranchers need to, to have to spend their money on. Farm Bureau President Zippy Duval issued a statement saying the new WOTUS rule again gives the federal government sweeping authority over private lands and creates uncertainty for farmers even if they're miles from the nearest navigable water. At this point, the new WOTUS rule will go into effect on March 20th. Still much more to come here on the weekend show, including priorities for Indiana Farm Bureau for this legislative session and how higher interest rates and inflation are impacting farm financing decisions. This is Hoosier Ag This Week from Hoosier Ag Today. Welcome back to Hoosier Ag This Week. I'm CJ Miller with Hoosier Ag Today. Seeking out more money for several Indiana ag agencies is just one of Indiana Farm Bureau's policy priorities for 2023. I've heard some legislators joke that it's a lot easier to say no when there is no money. Um, And so the pickle they find themselves in is having a little extra. And that's Jeff Cummins with Indiana Farm Bureau talking about Indiana's $5 billion in budget reserves as your state lawmakers are working now on the state's new two-year budget. During Indiana Farm Bureau's Legislative Forum Tuesday in downtown Indianapolis, 
The organization says they're asking state lawmakers to increase funding for several Indiana ag agencies. State Fair, like many folks, ran into some higher costs because of COVID, inflation, supply chain. So we're supporting them in their effort to make continued improvements uh, at Purdue. It's research, it's county extension, uh, it's the animal disease and diagnostic lab. We need improvements there to enhance performance um, and services for particularly those in the livestock sector. With uh, the State Department of Agriculture, they took a haircut in the 2021 budget and never got that back. So it's increased conservation funding, which we know is a great return on investment. Cummins also says Indiana Farm Bureau is also pushing for more funding for the Indiana Grain Buyers and Warehouse Licensing Agency. That's the agency that licenses and regulates grain warehouses around the state, so they need staff, um, and we know that there's a performance review coming out this year from that agency on their audit and licensing procedures, and so we want to make sure they have the resources to meet whatever standards or new enhancements that performance review might call for. He adds that Indiana Farm Bureau also recognizes the many different challenges to their funding requests. And so everybody's out rattling the tin cup, uh, and I don't mean that pejoratively, but there are a lot of requests. If I had to give it an overarching theme for this session, you know, workforce, education, and healthcare will be the dominant forces there. And so where do the dollars go? How do they find ways to fund all this? While maintaining those reserves, it's important not to deplete that. Uh, lots of requests out there. We're going to do our due diligence with our partners to make sure we have the right data and good arguments for what our partners need and how we can help. Read more about Indiana Farm Bureau's 2023 legislative priorities at HoosierAgToday.com. Well, the Fort Wayne Farm Show was this past week at the Allen County War Memorial Coliseum. Hoosier Ag Today was there, and I had a chance to stop by the Specialty Hybrids booth and chat with technical agronomist Tom Manny to get his thoughts on what Indiana farmers should be doing right now to get ready for spring planting. So I would recommend right now farms across Indiana, they really need to be focused on finalizing their crop plan for 2023. So figuring out what crops they're going to be putting on different parts of their farm, what their fertility program's going to look like for this upcoming year. So maybe if you're on corn, are you going to stick with pre-plant on hydrus? Are you going to focus, maybe switch to 28? Uh, so what different fertility programs are you going to be looking at? And then also importantly, getting your herbicide program locked in for this growing season. So what your pre-programs are going to look like for corn and soybeans, what your in-crop, what your post-passes are going to look like for corn and soybeans, getting that product, product locked in, getting that product figured out exactly where that's going to go across your farm. You can hear more of my interview with Tom Manny with Specialty Hybrids from the Fort Wayne Farm Show at HoosierAgToday.com. Well, even though Indiana farmers saw higher yields and higher grain prices last year, they also saw higher interest rates and higher inflation. And that's certainly having an impact on farm financing decisions. Right now with the interest rate market we have, a lot of people are just opting to go ahead and pay cash. And that's Chase Harris, financial officer with the Hagerstown office of Farm Credit Mid-America. He says there's been a shift in how Hoosier farmers have been borrowing money for their farms. In the last several years, we've had rates in the maybe 3 to 4% range. And at that point, a lot of people are borrowing, you know, maybe the 100% of the cost of the purchase of that farm. We're now 6, 7, maybe even 8% interest rates. People are a lot more likely to put down 
25, 50% uh, sometimes just to bring down that interest cost. But not everything's negative when it comes to high interest rates. Uh, obviously, your money in the bank is worth more. For example, our farm cash management account right now is paying over 3%. So, you know, your money's worth a little more now. He also says more farmers are financing for other reasons. A lot of farmers right now are looking at ways to diversify. So not just the soybean and corn. They're looking at ways they can diversify their operation. Maybe that's through a tiling business. Uh, maybe that's through livestock. So if grain prices do suffer, they're not so dependent on that income stream and they have other things to fall back on to uh, diversify through the, the tough times. Harris says if you plan on financing in 2023, it's best to sit down and figure out your budget and how much cash you have on hand to help lower your borrowing costs. If you know what acreage you're going to be farming, you can kind of budget equipment upgrades along the way, whether you plan to pay cash for those, maybe a land purchase is something you know you have aspirations of and really putting pen to paper to see how feasible that is so you can plan for the future for your farm, not just this year, but for the next several years to come. To work with a Farm Credit Mid-America financial officer near you, visit e-farmcredit.com. Don't forget, you can also check out this story and all the latest Indiana farm news at hoosieragtoday.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Hoosier Ag Today. Well, that does it for this week's edition of Hoosier Ag This Week. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. For Andy Eubank, Eric Pfeiffer, and Chief Meteorologist Ryan Martin, I'm C.J. Miller, Hoosier Ag Today, Indiana's most listened to farm radio network.